What's up, y'all? You're listening to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. I am your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode features our collective director, Matt Dabbs, who recently caught up with Richard Knopp. Rich is the director of Room for Doubt and Professor Emeritus of Philosophy and Christian Apologetics at Lincoln Christian University, where he taught from 1983 all the way up to 2022. Rich talked to us about how this ministry of his ties into parents discipling and raising up their kids in the Lord. My gosh, is that a hot topic right now or what? This episode is going to be super helpful for you no matter where you are in your season of life. So let's jump in and hear from Matt Dabbs and Richard Knopp. Here we go. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Dabbs with Discipleship.org and uh, the Collective Show for today um, with Richard Knopp talking about his book, The Truth About God, What Can We Know and How Can We Know It? That was published a little while back with Renew. We're excited to have him on the show just to glean some some knowledge and some wisdom from him. And so I'll let him introduce himself. Well, hi, Matt. Thanks for uh, hosting me today. I'm looking forward to our chat together and with everybody else who might happen to join in either live today or later on. So, uh, gee, who am I? Uh, you should talk to my wife or my kids. Um, I just retired after 39 years of teaching full-time at Lincoln Christian University, uh, Lincoln, Illinois. I taught philosophy and Christian apologetics all of that time. And since the year 2000, up until the time I retired at the end of May this year, I uh, also directed a grant-funded program that targeted young people, uh, teenagers particularly, called Worldview Eyes. It was a uh, grant program funded by the Lilly Endowment, the pharmaceutical company out of Indianapolis. And uh, that was a grant program, a part of their youth grants program, given to some dozens of uh, seminaries around the country and world. And uh, I was privileged to talk about Christian worldview and make connections with young people in a variety of uh, conferences, churches, conventions, that kind of thing, and uh, help them understand a little bit more what the Christian faith is about, and also talk to them about uh, how to defend their faith and why they should believe it's true. So I've been doing that for a long time, giving me an opportunity not only to teach in the classroom, but to get down uh, out on the streets, you might say, and talk to young people and adults as well. And then since uh, 2013, late, we started another grant-funded program called Room for Doubt. And this is also a program that targets churches and parachurches particularly. Um, it's an apologetics program. And for your audience that may not know what that is, I'll be glad to talk more about it. But apologetics essentially is the idea of defending uh, Christian faith in this case. Uh, the way I like to put it in a very popular way is to say apologetics uh, and what I see myself trying to do is explaining to other people why they should be a Christian and not something else. Hmm. And that gets you involved in all kinds of things. You need to understand the nature of Christian faith, so you need to have a good grounding in theology, for one thing, what the Scripture has to say about God and a host of other related topics. But you also need to have a decent understanding of culture, of ideas, and that's uh, one reason why I pursued philosophy as an academic discipline. I figured uh, if if Christian 
faith is really true, it should be able to stand up against every alternative. And in fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 kind of puts it this way, he says uh, that we are destroying every pretension, everything raised up against the knowledge of God. So as I thought about this as a as a preacher's kid, by the way, um, you know, I didn't have any choice but to go to church. Um, it was a part of our fabric. It was a part of uh, how I was conditioned growing up. But I reached a point like I think every other young person reaches who is raised in a church context. They reach a point where they begin to ask, "Is is this stuff really true, or was I just?" happened to be raised in a Christian environment when somebody in India might have been raised in a Hindu environment or somebody in Saudi Arabia raised in a Muslim environment or somebody who doesn't believe in any kind of a God raised in mm -hmm. uh, an atheistic home. So I came to grips with this idea, and it was a little scary at first, I think. Um, is it really true? And why should I believe that Christianity is true, fundamentally more and different from any other alternative? Uh, and I had to face this fact that just because I happen to be raised in a Christian environment does not uniquely count for the truth of the Christian faith any more than a young Hindu or Muslim raised someplace else uh, can point to their background alone as though it counts toward the truth of their respective uh, worldview or religious perspective. So I uh, you know, reached a point where I wanted to start checking things out for myself, uh, be convinced, because if you're going to tell somebody else about Jesus, you better jolly well believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he has good news to bring to everybody in the world to that young Christian who's raised in the church, as well as to that Hindu raised in India or anywhere else, and the Muslims and the atheists as well. So I faced that. That's why I pursued philosophy. So it's a little bit strange that this grant program called Room for Doubt is an apologetics program, because so often people think that doubting is necessarily somehow contradictory to having genuine faith. Like if you if you believe a lot, then you don't have any doubts at all. And then on the other hand, if you start having doubts about your Christian faith, then that is a demonstration that your faith is not really where it should be. And so there is this kind of antithesis that I often see in churches, and I think it's an extremely unfortunate one, mm -hmm. because we live in a culture when our we have all sorts of reasons to bring doubts about our faith, intellectual and emotional, um, psychological, etc. There are different kinds of doubts. And I just have, you know, kind of tried to wrestle through that myself to reach a point where I can say my commitment to Christ is unshaken because I've looked at all of the philosophical and the religious alternatives and I've come away with this idea, there isn't any better alternative or even any other alternative that comes close to what the Christian faith offers. And yet, I will acknowledge 
that I have my own doubts that arise about Christian faith. And the reason for that partly is because we're we're finite human creatures. We're not God. We don't know everything. And that means that what we do know is always filtered through the lenses of our finite human capacity, which means we're not in a very good spot, actually, (laughs) to have absolute knowledge of things in the sense of absolute certainty, where there is no plausible doubt that could ever been be raised. And unfortunately, what I think happens a lot of times in in churches and in Christian families is that people are made to see or to feel that if they have any doubts, then they don't have any genuine faith. And sometimes it comes to the point where a person would just say, I just can't shake having some doubts about this. And if it's a matter of uh, having to have absolute intellectual certainty and somehow hanging on to my faith commitment to Christ, then sometimes they just say, well, I'm giving up on the church. I'm giving up on Jesus because I still have these intellectual doubts. So what we try to do in this Room for Doubt program is to convey to everybody, doubt is not a naughty word. And in fact, there are very positive reasons why we should uh, not only accept expression of doubts, but encourage them. And to do so in a context, a loving context, with church leaders and with parents who care about these young people growing up and who are able to help them think through the doubts that they can't avoid and help them to see there are good, very good answers to the questions and doubts that they've got, even if they can't reach a point of absolute intellectual certainty about them. So that's a big part of what I've been doing with uh, the Room for Doubt program. And then that uh, is part of the reasons why Renew you know, asked me to do, is this the time for the plug? Uh, for, <laughs> for the, you want. So truth about God, what can we know and how can we know it? It's not a very big book. It's only, it's actually the main text in this book is 108 pages and the book isn't very large dimension wise. Now for the, and I think those 108 pages can be read and and pretty well understood by essentially everybody from at least high school on up, maybe even down into junior high on up. What I try to do is to uncover some of the gems or the jewels hmm. that I have kind of accumulated over 39 years of teaching full time, as well as, you know, hundreds of presentations for churches and parachurches. And I've tried to compress, you know, some of those in this text that covers a pretty broad, comprehensive range of things in a relatively shallow fashion. Now, for those of your audience that want to go a little deeper, I've got the answer for you. So even though it's only got 108 pages uh, in the main text, I think I've got... um, another 40 pages or so in 188 endnotes. Uh, And most of those endnotes are content endnotes. What I've tried to do in those endnotes is is treat it almost like a Bible commentary, where I'll sometimes go into um, word studies um, 
and go into some background. So it's not just a matter of throwing in a bunch of footnotes to make people think, well, he's read a few books, big deal. Uh, it's a matter it's a of kind of yeah, it's a resource. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a really valuable resource uh, for people to follow up on. And I've also written it in a way that I think would be conducive to teaching as well as preaching. I tend to be into alliteration anyway, uh, as much as I can. And I've used some of that in the writing style that I've adopted for the book. So I, I did the book to be philosophically uh, respectable because uh, I, I too often hear well-meaning Christians, sometimes parents, uh, church leaders even, who speak about things, and it's fairly obvious they really don't know much about what they're talking about, especially when it comes to things like philosophy and more academic kinds of consideration. So I wanted the book to be philosophically respectable and theologically insightful. So I do quite a bit with biblical content in this book. I do quite a bit with theology throughout this book. But I also wanted the book to be personally valuable. Uh, it's not just a matter of, you know, kind of lambasting everybody out there, whoever the reader might be for the book, but it's getting down to the individual level. How could this book be personally valuable to you as an individual? Or if you're a parent and you've got a child who's asking tough questions yes. about faith, maybe they've already wandered away from church and possibly away from uh, Jesus even, how can you be better prepared to help people that you love? And so I wanted to be personally valuable, and I wanted to be evangelistically useful. Mm. So it's a kind of a comprehensive deal here. I think it's got decent philosophical and theological content, but it is expressed in a way that I think is not only manageable, and understandable, but usable. What can mm -hmm. I do with it? That's super valuable because what you're, what I hear you saying is, anyone from a non-believer, you know, a non-Christian who's maybe asking questions, uh, all the way to you know someone who's been in church their whole life, but maybe has questions that nobody's really answered for them, or maybe they, they're just kind of searching to see if they want to stick around. And I mean, that, that's quite a wide range of perspectives, you know, that you're able to address in such a short amount of time within the book so succinctly. And one thing I really appreciate about what you're saying when, you, when you're introducing yourself was, you know, you were saying basically that, you know, you, you've studied academically, but you're also interpersonal. You know, you've had these conversations with people. It's not just an ivory tower pursuit, you know, but it's real people with real names and real stories. And I think that's very, very important. It's in that, that practice that the science part makes the most sense. And, and also, as you were talking, I was just thinking about our churches and because I'm, I'm a minister, I've been a minister, you know, 20 years and um, it's really easy to um, think that we're the expert in something. And when we get a question that we don't know the answer to, it's really easy to get defensive or shut people down, right? Um, because we don't. My, my background is psychology and ministry. So like I, I think a lot about and read a lot about, you know, church dynamics and anxiety, anxiety in churches, you know, like church, churches don't promote growth when they don't allow there to be a little bit of anxiety in the mix, a little bit of 
concern or is this going to work out okay you know and then watch it work out you know uh, we're just not very robust sometimes in what we allow or don't allow based on our own personal tolerances, right? Yeah, some of the research that I've kind of kept up with identifies, you know, way too many people who are facing the situation where they got these questions and doubts. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of what was behind the naming of this grant program called Room for Doubt. I mean, we mm-hmm. had a you know, we had a national firm help us do some demographic analyses. Uh, and uh, interviewed a variety of potential constituents, you know, who would be per- participants in our website and our mobile app. And we've got a great website and a great uh, app to use. So our resources are available, you know, in your pocket or in your mm-hmm. purse type stuff. So uh, that's another plug, you know, download yeah. the Room for Doubt uh, app and uh, and use that. But um you know, we, we just ran into so many people who felt like and the research backs this up, that they were not allowed, they didn't feel like they were allowed to ask these questions, and God forbid they would ever express any specific doubts about their faith. And then, uh, I think it was uh, Drew Dyke and some research that he did, it's been a few years back, he not only identified that, but he said on open-ended responses, kind of the most frequent open-ended response he got to some of his basic questions was, they weren't. They didn't feel like they could ask the questions. And then when they were bold enough to ask the questions, they they got little more than just trite and unhelpful answers. So it's it's like a a two a double whammy here in some way. First of all, for somebody who's got questions and doubts, they don't feel like they can ask or express those questions and doubts in a mm-hmm. Christian environment. And then when they do, um, they're not given any you know helpful answers. Um, and part of that goes down to people who just kind of have this attitude that you identified. They feel like they must, they, they feel compelled to appear like they know all the answers. And one of the biggest turnoffs is anybody who knows anything about the world knows that the guy or the gal who is asking like he or she knows all the answers does not know all the answers. And so it actually, you know, minimizes the level of respect yes. that that person has. So the irony is, in an effort to act like you know all the answers, you're actually demonstrating that you don't know all the answers. So room for doubt. Let's, uh, yes. let's give expression for it. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So what is the outcome, right? The outcome is a young, and I'm speaking very generally. I hate, I hate, I don't like, I dislike general broad pejoratives, right? Because they're they're not fair. Yeah. But in a sense, what you can end up with 
you know, is a lot of young people who are struggling to find these answers who have not been allowed to, to struggle and seek. And <clears throat> they've not been given a process to like find a, an answer or a path through the unknown. Like what, what does faith look like when you don't get an answer? I mean, I still have questions. I mean, sometimes we're praying for stuff and God says yes to the little stuff, like in some really crazy ways. I'm like, that was, that was amazing that like, like one time we prayed, like we literally prayed for clipboards. We're like, we're going to ask God for everything we're ever going to, we're going to do in this ministry. So we need clipboards. We ask for clipboards. I had a neighbor come up and say, here's some clipboards. You know, I think maybe you need some clipboards. Same day. It's like, wow, God answered that. That's crazy. Incredible. My faith's grown. And then I'm like, God healed this person of cancer. Oh, they died. That's like, yeah. why'd you give me the clipboards? Take care of the person. Yes. With the, you know, I mean, there's these things yeah. we're just going to wrestle with, you know, but, but, you know, if, so, so my point is like, as a dad, for me, now we have an 11, 13 year old boy. Part of our transition in our parenting is when they're little, you tell them what to do. They get a little older and then you give them some good options, pick this or this. And now that they're, you know, I got a 13 year old and he's like, well, dad, I'm going to have to decide such and such. I'm like, well, instead of me telling him what, now if it's a big thing, I probably need to tell him what to do in certain ways, but think you need to think about this, 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 and this. Before you make that decision, here's the kinds of things we think about. After you consider all of that, you come back and tell me what your decision is, and I'll respect that, right? So he's given some room to explore and figure out and make a decision and own it and accept the consequences, but he's learning how to make a good decision, right? And so yeah. without dad pressing it in on him, you know, um, so it, it kind of yeah, feels... Yeah, that's, like, that's a very good point. I mean, there's a, you know, a developmental process. Yeah. And it's not the same for everybody. You know, when somebody turns 12, not all 12 years old, 12 year olds are the same, but there needs to be adequate judgment on the part of parents and youth leaders, uh, church leaders on where this individual is, whether he or she's a young person, teenager or older, they're at a different point in the developmental process. But wow. I, I mean, I taught, I taught at Lincoln Christian University, you know, for almost 40 years. And for all of that time, I taught a required freshman course mm-hmm. called an Introduction to Worldviews. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a survey of different philosophies and religions. And I introduced the concept of Christian worldview, and then it has a little bit of apologetics content. So we're surveying, you know, different philosophies and different religions, but I'm also trying to give some strategies for how they can respond to these different philosophies and religions from a Christian standpoint and why they should be committed to it. And because it was a first-year class, that means that the students that I was getting, for the most part, traditional aid students at least, they were coming from mostly from churches. Uh, So, wow, I mean, let me just put it this way, candidly. we. I got a lot of very ill-prepared young people in that mm-hmm. class. They didn't know much about their Christian faith, even though most of them had been in the context of church most of their life. They knew diddly squat about what the alternatives were, uh, and therefore they were re- they really couldn't own their faith to say, "I'm not only committed to Christ." But I know why I'm committed to Christ, and I also know why I'm not committing ever to anything else, Mm -hmm. because there's nothing else any better than what Christ gives to us. Mm -hmm. So, But it was a developmental thing where 
you know, some of them came in with a little higher um, commitment level and level of spiritual maturity. Uh, and in some ways, I mean, we're getting young people who, who I'm not even sure they were committed to Christ fully. They were attracted to a Christian university that had a sports program. And actually, I loved having students like that because it gave me an opportunity to do a little bit of evangelism <laughs> as well right. as uh, apologetics. So, yeah, we need to help people, to first of all, to listen. And I think it's just so harmful when somebody expresses questions or doubts to have somebody who thinks they know it all when they don't, and then they start speaking before they actually listen to, you know, what this person is saying that they're talking to. I, f I forget, maybe it was C.S. Lewis uh, who said something to the effect that we ought to listen four times as much as we, we talk. And that would be a great principle to uh, mm -hmm. avail ourselves of. Mm -hmm. Listen, and then be, be well prepared so that when you have listened and are in the process of carefully listening, you can say things that are really informative and insightful and relevant because you've done your homework, shall we say. Uh, but it's so important to express all that with a humble attitude. Yes. I mean, what, in the famous passage in 1 Peter 3, you know, Peter says, always be ready to make a defense. The Greek word there for translated as make a defense or give a reason is the Greek word apologia, from which we get the English word apologetics. But then he goes on and says, yeah, always be ready to give an answer to everybody who asks you for the hope that you have, and yet do so with, with humility, with respect. Okay, so it's not just a matter of you know, throwing answers at somebody, it's also expressing an attitude of humility and respect and genuineness. And often it's the case that even though we may be saying what is true, we undermine and actually damage the truth of what we're trying to convey because of the way in which we are expressing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, People who want to be effective as Christian disciples, people who want to be effective as evangelists, talking to somebody who's needing Christ desperately, they, they really do need to be aware of a host of considerations. And I think it's doable. It's not a matter that you've got to have a PhD in philosophy like I've got. Um, and, and it's not a matter that uh, apologetics or defending the faith is what I would consider as an add-on. You know, this is how sometimes I'm looked at, other than when I say to somebody, mm -hmm. I specialize in apologetics, and then I explain, well, ask my wife, because, you know, I do an awful lot of apologizing uh, to her. Uh, but I've, I've got this uh, sense where we, we need to do apologetics as an integral part of our discipleship and of our evangelism. Yes. It's not an add-on. It's not a tack-on. And when you look at Scripture, uh, New Testament, Book of Acts uh, especially, where it gives us these narratives of the teachings and the preachings of Paul and others, where they're doing evangelistic things. It's not like, you know, they send in the evangelist and he preaches a sermon, and then they say, mm -hmm. hey, guys, now it's time for the apologist. Let's bring the apologist in, and they get part two. No, that, I mean, that's just not the way it is when you 
analyze the messages that are given there. It's like theology and apologetics. It's like presenting the gospel, the truth claims of the gospel, and also defending those truth claims. There are woven all throughout those messages. And that integration is something that I believe our modern church has unfortunately neglected. And I really think, and I'll get on a little soapbox that uh, we talk, I was talking with Andrew Jitt and Daniel McCoy on yesterday's show uh, that might probably air right before this one. So if you listen to the previous one, you might have heard something similar. But <clears throat> if we take this back a generation um, to the parents, you know, our parents are the most spiritually influential people in the lives of their kids. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying our youth ministry should disciple 100 kids, we got three or four people going to disciple 100 kids they spend an hour a week with. Okay, that's not going to fly. That, that, that approach is going to produce exactly what we're seeing, what exactly. you're describing. I th- and I don't mean to be harsh. I'm not trying to say it's bad. The youth ministry is bad. I just think that there needs to be a paradigm shift of equipping parents to disciple their kids and resourcing them and, 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 and helping them to disciple their kids so that the youth ministry is a supplement and a resource to parents. So it's not the piece because there, as a parent, there's a really easy drop off mindset of saying, well, we go to church and our kids go to the youth ministry. Therefore, they're going to make it and it's going to be OK. And we're being faithful. So I really see it as like, take this book that you have. I've got the big copy of the combo book here. You know, take this book. Oh, the huge, the, the huge, huge volume of like 13 all, books all 12 in it. volumes. Yeah. The tome. Um, yes. You know, the book you have, if you want to hold that up, the, the 108 page or, you know. Look how thin that is. That one, the man book. <laughs> take that one. And give it to your parents. Right? Yeah. Give it to the parents. Walk through it. And, 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 and encourage your parents to teach their kids those things. And don't just hope, well, you know, the youth minister is going to catch this and he's going to get all of them and they're all going to be faithful and all this. It's like, we can't throw our kids to the wind like that. Like, that's not, it does not really work, right? So yeah. that would be one of my suggestions to kind of pitch what you've written and buy 100 copies and give them to all your families and say, hey, you know, discipleship seems like a real mystery. Hey, this would actually be discipleship to walk through this with your kids. You know, let them ask their questions. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's certainly a place for doing uh, an organized kind of scheduled teaching and interaction with young people. Uh, but I think that in many ways, parents would be better served and their kids would be better served. And even Grandkids. I mean, I've got seven grandkids uh-huh. uh, with with my three uh, with our three amazing grown children. Uh, I think it would be even much better for everybody if they adopted this principle that's expressed even in Old Testament. As you walk, by the way, you know you're teaching your children, and by extension, your grandchildren, and. Doing that, I mean, it's a matter when you're driving in a car, walk, you know, riding down the road, something comes on the radio, or you're listening to something, or you're watching something on TV, or something on social media comes up, and a parent happens to be, you know, aware of what what their child is seeing or reading, or whatever. Talk about those kinds of things while they're happening. It's not a matter of well, we got to do this at seven thirty in the morning, devotionals at the breakfast table. 
Now, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing yeah, bre- sure, sure. breakfast table devotions, but it's a matter that you've got opportunities all throughout a day to interact with those that you love, to help them kind of get a glimpse of what Christian faith is like and its relevance to life. That's that's one place, I think, where we're really failing as well. Uh, people are not seeing the relevance of their Christian faith to the life that they live, you know, moment by moment. And part of that, I think, is at the responsibility of parents. I mean, well-meaning and certainly strong, committed Christian parents, even the ones that are trying to do something, you know, in an organized, systematic way, they're still losing out on many opportunities just spontaneously to interact with their young people and say, well, what do you think about that? And and you engage in dialogue. You don't pontificate, you know, and tell them off again. They've they've heard enough of that. But it's a matter of genuinely interacting because, let's face it, uh, our kids, they're getting all kind of stuff from the social media with which they're interacting. Absolutely. And if they're interested in something and maybe they're moving because of social values and perceptions of sexuality, whatever, if they're moving in a particular direction that is at least um, potentially problematic from a Christian standpoint, well, it's very easy for them to gather all kinds of information at the point of a, uh, at the click of a button, and then they start compiling all kinds of sources that will defend that particular view, and it moves those young people step by step a little further away. And then by the time a parent finds out about it, well, this their young, per, uh, you know, this is kind of the sad story. I sometimes get some, a parent calls me and says, we raised our kids to be strong Christian believers. They were involved in church. They did short-term mission work. They went to youth con- conferences, Christian youth conferences. And they came home from spring break at college this year, and they said, Mom, I just don't believe that anymore. Hmm. And, I mean, what do you say at that point? Now, I want to hasten to say here that parents do have an immense prerogative and responsibility. But even with the very best efforts of Hmm. genuine parents who are doing really all that can be expected of them realistically. That is no guarantee. I mean, God gives us free will, right? And one way to look at it is, I mean, God God brings Adam and Eve into existence. And in that sense, they had the perfect father. And still what happened? Jesus had 12. And yet what happened to one of them? And in fact, all of them ended up denying him. Right. Uh, for a bit. So I, I think we should also be encouraged as parents, do everything that we can by the grace of God and always be in prayer, you know, for those you love so that the Holy Spirit is working on them and it doesn't fall all to you because you're not going to do it anyway. Uh, but allow the Holy Spirit to work through you in a way in which you're informed. And I mean, this is just one way to do it. There are very, very good resources and if anybody wants to email me or check with uh, roomfordoubt.com and uh, communicate with me further, I'll be happy to do that. And then you communicate in a way that you just are genuine and humble 
mm-hmm. in how you communicate to those you love. So good. One of the verses that really guilts a lot of parents is that proverb that says, raise up a child in the way they should go. And in the end, they will not depart from it. And they're like, well, I did that, you know, and yeah. it's, it, that we know, you know, that's not a, it's a, it's a principle, not a promise, right? Here people say like, that's such a, it, yeah. it, don't get hung up on, on, on that. Cause it's, it, it does work in principle. Generally speaking, there, there's some, there's truth in what that's saying. It's not an untrue statement, but it's not an absolute yeah. lockdown promise. You know, one of the ways, and this is getting off track a little bit, but I'll maybe 10 seconds on it's fine, is, you know, you talked about Deuteronomy 6 uh, a minute ago. You, you alluded to Deuteronomy 6 and, you know, as you, as you stand and walk and sit and walk down the road, and you're mm-hmm. explaining things at, live, real time, as they're happening. You're making God connections, Holy Spirit connections. Okay, when they said this, did you see that? And you're showing your kids, you know, how these pieces connect and how God's involved in the world. Uh, you, you, you can literally live out Deuteronomy 6 through prayer walking. We, we prayer walk with our boys. Yeah. And I'm not trying to pretend like I'm the best parent in the world. There's areas where I, I need significant improvement, <clears throat> but I, I do feel like we've done well with prayer walking with our boys. And we just yeah. gather up in front of our house and we pray together and we bring some friends in and people from our church and we walk the neighborhood or walk Auburn University or downtown Montgomery or wherever we're going to go. And we just, we, we pray about God doing some really specific things before we start. And then we walk out and we meet people and talk to people and we listen when we get done and, and, we're, and people are, our kids are praying about our conversation with these people as we're talking with people and, and silently and they're engaged. Right. And then when we get done, we're like, did you see that we prayed about this and then you saw that and we're making these God connections, right. That, that it's an experience, you know, there is an intellectual component, but there's also a very deep spiritual, emotional, relational component. If these yeah. together and I just think our kids seeing that has been a tremendous boost to their faith. There was one yeah. walk with, where one of our boys said he prayed for 12 people to show up and we've never had 12 people show up. 12 people showed up and we're like, see, see, and again, I'm like, well, again, <laughs> no. why doesn't God answer the cancer prayer? You know, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are, are you going to tell me that those 12 people had clipboards? Yeah. Yeah. Right. They were already <laughs> with their clipboards. Yep. Exactly. It's funny. Well, I'll, you know, I'm kind of I've communicated with you on this uh, earlier few days ago. Uh, what I'm going through right now, you know, I've got a dear sister-in-law who was a faith-filled person, just a real Christian servant, and she's been in the hospital for um, about a week and a half or so, and they just, you know, were not able to really figure out what was going on with her. And I'm sure she had an enormous number of people who were praying for her healing, uh, for her recovery. Uh, she was, um, you know, she was, she was 81, and she's had a wonderful life. But she, you know, could have continued to serve God for a long time yet, and that's what we were praying for. And you know, she went uh, to be with the Lord just a few days ago, and. Uh, after our interview here, uh, I'll be heading, you know, to her funeral. And her name is Peg. And, um, you know, I could have just said, you know, we got a lot of things going on in our family. We prayed a lot, and we, we didn't really get the result that we had hoped and prayed for. We got a lot going on. I'm just going to forget this interview. Let's postpone it. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm confident Peg would have said, no. Rich, <laughs> I want you to do that. I want you to to continue representing Jesus 
Uh, and in fact, a couple of weeks before she went into the hospital, everything seemed fine for the most part at that point, just several weeks ago. And um, the topic of heaven came up and we were talking about it some. I recommended a book for her to get on heaven. And uh, when I was there, when I came back a few weeks later when she was in the hospital, I went to her house and there was that book that I'd recommended right beside her chair. She'd been reading about heaven. And so, I mean, if nothing else, uh, though I'm thrilled to talk about Jesus at any time uh, and plug my book, you know, whenever or other resources, I, you know, I would like for this particular interview that we're doing to kind of be in honor of Peg as well as Jesus and uh, thank her for her life of dedicated service and for the example that she's been to so many other people, including those in, in my immediate family. So, Well, we appreciate you taking time out in such a complicated, emotional, busy time to do this. What would be something that if Peg were here, she might want us to understand. <clears throat> I think Peg would Peg would want us to understand how real the relationship can be mm. between an individual and Jesus as Lord as well as Savior of one's life. It's not just a matter of what it might mean in the you know, in the next life, though our discussion about heaven, you know, certainly brings that up, and there's biblical material that covers that. But it's also a matter of what it means to live a full life that is blessed by the grace of God and the presence and the power of God's Spirit that brings a reality to that relationship that's, as you pointed out earlier, it's not just a cognitive or an intellectual thing, but it's something that really touches our entire being. It's deeply emotional, but I would contend it, it really shouldn't be based on emotion uh, only, uh, because we're talking about things that are truth claims. If they're true in an objective sense, which I believe they are, claims about the resurrection of Jesus, about who God is, if these claims are actually true, it doesn't make any difference if you like it or don't like it. It doesn't make any difference if you accept it or don't accept it. I mean, there are some truths that are just true, and their truth value is not determined by how they're perceived by other people. And so they're true in that cognitive sense, but they're more than just intellectual. They really do have deeply seated emotional, psychological, sociological mm -hmm. ramifications. Mm -hmm. And I think Peg understands enough about what Christian faith is about that she'd want us to help. She'd want to help us to see, hey, it's the full package, mm -hmm. right? It's not just being able to have, you know, five boxes that you check off. You know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in judgment. I believe in repentance. Well, look at Hebrews, last part of chapter five, first part of chapter six. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, well, those things are good, but that's just, you know, that's milk stuff. Now it's time to move on and see the fuller repercussions of what Christian faith is all about. Mm -hmm. I think Peg was, uh, you know, a solid Christian. She'd want us to understand the entire corpus of what the Christian mm -hmm. faith is about.
Well, can we meditate on that just for a second? Can we just kind of sure. just sit on that for maybe 10, 15 seconds and sure. consider that? Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I'd like to say a prayer for you and your family real quick, and we'll carry on. All right, please do. Thanks. God, I lift up Richard to you. Uh, I just pray for him as he travels today, that uh, you will watch over him, that um, Peg's life will be well honored today. Uh, God, we entrust her into your hands, and we know that you love her more than we ever possibly could. <clears throat> and we, God, we just ask that uh, your faithfulness would just be made evident through all the things that are going to be said and shared, that our hope in the resurrection of Christ will be uh, on full display as uh, her life is honored today. Be with Richard as he travels. Just keep him safe, God. And thank you so much for his, his wisdom and his willingness to share today on what could be a pretty hard day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we begin, you, you told me that you wanted me to ask questions that people listening or watching might ask. And so what book did you recommend on heaven? <laughs> well, it was a book by Randy Alcorn. Okay. Um, on heaven. It's a fairly widely uh, read text. Um, that's the one that I recommended. I've okay. heard some very good comments about it by other people as well. Uh, Peg purchased it. I think she probably went into her office as soon as I recommended it and had it ordered, and it was probably there the next day, you know. So that answers that question. Give me another softball okay. question. Did Peg buy your books? <laughs> Actually, like, I can just talk with him. I'll just ask him my questions. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Reed, well, is? actually, yeah, he uh, or she and my uh, my brother, Jerry, uh, they bought, I don't know how many books and gave them out to their cool. friends. Uh, they both led a, a sizable small group that met in their home. Uh, and um, they they purchased the book and gave it to their preacher and uh, some other church leaders, as well as to some people in their small group that really isn't so small, and uh, they're using that. I would want to say that uh, there are six short videos that accompany the book. Uh, one of the things that Renew did is to ask us to produce some videos that would accompany our respective books in this 12-volume series. So uh, the videos that I did are about six minutes, so they're not long videos. They touch on different topics that are covered in the book. Uh, I I use quite a bit of um, animated slides in the background for my work. I I do quite a bit of multimedia presentations in what I do. 
So uh, you can go to renew.org. And if you did a, a search just on truth about God, uh, I believe that that search, Truth About God, on Renew's website will bring up um, the list of those six videos, as well as a prior interview that I did. Uh, and also, there's a page on the Room for Doubt website uh, that gives a little bit more information on the book, and those videos links are collected in a convenient way on that page. I also am just kind of starting to release uh, a website called richknop.com. R-I-C-H-K-N-O-P-P.com. And uh, I host a variety of my presentations that I give in various places. So if somebody wants access to handouts and, you know, some of the audio and even some video recordings of what I've done, uh, they can locate those things in those uh, spots. That's awesome. And uh, Renew will also be uh, represented at uh, the forum in October, October 5th and 6th. So, you know, we want people just to be aware, like if these things that have been talked about um, with Andrew and with Rich on apologetics and young people, you know, if that's something that y'all are interested in um, and what Renew is about, then, you know, we really encourage you all to come to the forum and, and learn more and just you know, get to be around people who deeply care. And that's one of the things I've been really impressed with about you, Richard, is that, you know, you really seem to deeply care. And I know we don't, we've not had a lot of discussion we have not known each other a really long time, but that, that's the impression I get from you is that, uh, you have just a really sweet spirit about you and that, you know, this is not an academic, it is an academic exercise, but it's one that matters because of, of people, right? Yeah. It's not just fun. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an academic exercise in the best use of the term exercise. There you go. Yes. You know, yes. Some, some, <laughs> some people just exercise. They're going through the exercise. It's not that. There, there's one, uh, you know, finer point that I make in the book. Uh, the difference between certainty and what I refer to as certitude. Hmm. Um, now, there's a little bit of a nuance in terms of the meaning there. Some people may quickly think, well, certainty and certitude, they're probably just synonyms, one for the other. But I really intended to kind of uh, propose that certitude is a broader notion. Uh, certainty is more of an intellectual type thing. And and that's where I would say, well, we we may and we don't have absolute intellectual certainty on many things, even theological and biblical things, but we can have certitude. It is grounded in a, a broader range of considerations. It's not just intellectual, but also emotional. And it also leaves open the whole domain of the Holy Spirit's operation. Because I believe that that in many ways, the Holy Spirit serves, as Jesus said, uh, he's going to be a convictor of sin and righteousness and judgment. But then Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit, you know, dwells within us. And so we can have a level of confidence, what I refer to as certitude, for a variety of considerations, including the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond mere intellect. And that grounded level of certitude is what gives us the basis for our confidence in the truth of who God is and what's God, what God is about. It also gives us the motivation to want to share our faith with other people. Hmm. I mean, if you're not convinced it's true, you're not going to be sharing it with other people because you really don't believe it's true. 
And that's one reason why I think Christian apologetics is so desperately needed, not in a, you know, kind of an arrogant, argumentative sense, but Christian apologetics in the sense of helping somebody become more confident that their their faith really is true and helping them be more effective in sharing their faith with other people. So um, anyway, uh, as you might be able to tell, I get a little excited about yeah, talking you you about all this stuff. This. <laughs> I, I, sh- I should have done this for my life, you know. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> 39 years, that's impressive. That really is, is really pretty cool. Um, so can you kind of kind of walk us back to the resources real again? So you have Room for Doubt. You have richardnop.com, uh, richnop.com. Richnop.com, yeah. And what's that renew if they search for the book? Right. Um, so those, those, those three would be the primary websites to go to. Okay. Uh, Room for Doubt also has the the app. Um, yes, uh, we've we've had this app. It really was a pretty pioneering event when it came or uh, integration when it came out. I think we released that maybe in two thousand seventeen, something like that. Yes. Um, but it was pretty pioneering technology, so that people can have access to our website and they can have access to the mobile app. And actually. When you're in a browser or using the mobile app, you're kind of going back and forth between mm-hmm. the website and the app. And, and the, from the user standpoint, it's all you know behind the scenes. Uh, but one of the things that we emphasize is a convenient way for people to ask questions. Wow. So on essentially every page on our website, as well as in our app, we have a way for people to submit questions to wow. us. So many of most of the articles that we have on our website and that are also in the app, as well as video stuff, they are responses to specific questions that people have already posted wow. for us. And so uh, it's just a great resource cool. for adults as well as for yeah. young people. If you're out, you know, out out and about, and, and you come up with a question, you're talking to somebody. Well, here's the convenient way to do it. You just go to, you know, room for doubt. <laughs> this is the the mobile app, and just pop popped it up here. And at the top of the screen, you know, it's search. So if you have a a question come up about a particular topic, you can type a search term in. Mm-hmm. It'll bring up uh, articles there, and it's all within the room for doubt website and app. So so it's just a great resource. So they can actually submit a question, also. Yeah. So that youth minister or preacher who gets that person coming up going, now why does this go roomfordoubt.org? Uh, it's it's uh, .com. I, I think it, uh, we com. have both domains. So There's it's roomfordoubt.com. There's also roomfordoubt. I think we've got .org as well. Dot, but, dot, um, at least .com. So, hey, go to this website. And dot and com. Put your question in because I don't know. Yeah, But I've listened very well and I've been humble. Yeah, there you go. Well, I've had an impact on you already. There we like. go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that that preacher needs to go look it up on the site and come back. And now I know where to go look, you know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, we've had great, um, some re- really good impact. Um, you just would be disheartened in some ways if you mm-hmm. read very many of the questions that we get posed to us. Mm-hmm. You know, people who have been struggling with their faith and, you know, you might think, well, it's it, it would be expected for, you know, somebody who's not really been that plugged in 
to be bothered by questions. Mm-hmm. But we get questions from people who are in church leadership, who are who are pastors or preachers. I I had one specifically who said I went to you know Christian college, Bible college. I've been in preaching ministry for like fifteen years or so, and he said I've got questions that are just nagging at me, and I can't shake them, mm. and I am fundamentally beginning to question the very basis for my faith. And I mean, we we get the gamut of people asking those kinds of questions, and we've got the privilege, you know, to help help them with some insight and some dialogue. Mm. Sometimes we'll just follow up personally with them, but often what we'll do is that we'll, you know, give a like a summary question and we'll identify the person by first name mm. only to protect their identity. But that way they can also see, wow, this is my question, you know, that I posed. And uh, and then we'll let them know we posted an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we've had great um, great effect. We'd like to contact and impact more people. So uh, shows like this will help us get the word out Absolutely. a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, is there any last thought you want to share with us? Anything that comes to mind as we wrap up? Uh, at, in the conclusion of the book, I make a comment uh, because the book talks a lot about truth about God. That's the primary portion of the title, Truth About God. But I make the point uh, that knowing truth about God is not enough. Hmm. That knowing truth about God should drive us to know God. And there again, it's a difference between having truth about God in an intellectual sense and knowing God in the sense of having a very a tight, intimate, personal relationship with God that's based on the truth of the gospel of Christ and the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. But it also is comprehensive, includes who we are in Jesus and with the power and the presence of God's spirit. Mm-hmm. So I just would you know, challenge everybody, it, it, having good and even correct information is important, but it's just a first step to knowing God. And that's what it's all about. My favorite scripture is based in Deuteronomy 6. You mentioned that earlier, and it it reappears in several places in the gospel. Mark 12, 30 is one. And uh, Jesus is quoting this most famous passage, uh, the Shema in uh, Deuteronomy 6. And the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is talking about how comprehensive it is. It's not just loving God with your mind, you know, intellect. In in fact, the mind doesn't even appear in Deuteronomy. If you look in Mark 12, uh, mind appears in Deuteronomy, it doesn't. And it's not because Jesus is giving us more information or he's having a bad day and can't remember what Deuteronomy actually says. Jesus is unpacking what Deuteronomy already expressed to people who understood Hebrew. Uh, And the Hebrew word for heart, levav, in Deuteronomy 6 already includes the idea of loving God with your mind. So it's like in Mark, Mark is wanting to make sure, as Jesus is speaking, that these people who are not so intimately familiar with Hebrew as a scholarly language, they understand that it is referring to all we are. Love God with all of your heart, soul, Mm -hmm. mind, 
and strength. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your time. I uh, know it's a little bit of a, of a crazy day, and yet you've taken time out to help people, resource people, answer questions, equip, and that's just very selfless, and we really do appreciate you and, and, um, and respect you for doing that. I appreciate you, Richard. Thank you so much, Richard Knopp and Matt Dabbs, for that episode. Hey, listen, I just wanted to update you before I sign off here. We are going to be taking a couple weeks off from the podcast because our National Disciple Making Forum is just a few days away. Can you believe it? I'm so excited. I can't wait to lead all you guys in worship at the forum this year. It's going to be fantastic. But in lieu of that, we are taking some time off because that forum is in the middle of the week and also the week after we're going to be regrouping to get more material for the podcast for the rest of the year. So starting October 17th, we will be back on track with releasing new episodes weekly. All right, everyone, enjoy the break, and I will catch you again October 17th. And I look forward to seeing you at the forum October 5th and 6th. See you guys. Have a great day. Disciple Makers Podcast listeners, I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.